morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from some of the top crypto researchers in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. And for the first time ever, guys, we've got two special guests in the building. First, a Fox business reporter known for bringing the inside scoop on crypto and breaking news stories involving digital asset innovation. Ellie is in the building today, and we've got a longtime friend of the show, a renowned American investor and hedge fund manager, Mark Yusko is joining us on this Friday, so thank you to both of you for making time for us this morning. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how United States crypto adoption is finally underway as top American financial firms share their bullish outlook on digital asset prices. As Ethereum continues to dominate the smart contract market, we discuss a migration into better technologies. And with Bitcoin and Ethereum being the only assets with United States clarity, we break down the details, showing our community how this digital transformation is creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, this is a really exciting day for the first time ever. Two special guests in the building. So thank you to both of you. But first of all, Johnny, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Dude, I'm so excited to have both these, these guests in the house today. So let me start like I always do. First of all, good morning to all the warrior maniacs out there who show up every single day to watch us show you are true warriors. Thank you for being there. But I am so excited. Not only we have Ellie in the house from Fox News, and we've got the great one himself, hedge fund manager, Mark Yosko. Mark, I got to ask you, you know, I'm always going to. What are you sporting down there today? You're going to show our what, what are you wearing for socks today? Uh, you, you, all right. All right. I'll do it. Let me see it. Oh, you know, I got, I got the Bitcoin orange, but, uh, and actually, I, um, I'm channeling the Bitcoin bull. So, the Bitcoin I, uh, bull. I and the it. reason is I was going to wear my green shirt with my orange pants because my, my fighting Irish here are playing in Dublin, Ireland. In fact, I should be in Dublin drinking Guinness right now, but. We took our trip to, to Spain and Portugal. But um, so football season starts tomorrow. But my wife said I can't look like the Irish flag. So I had to put the green on down at the sock level. So Well, this is the first time we've seen you without a pink shirt because we, we normally have you on on a Wednesday. On Wednesdays. Right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I do have other shirts besides pink. But uh, <laughs> Well, that's good to know, Mark. Breaking news story, guys. Mark owns other shirts besides pink on this Friday morning. But Ellie, we're also excited. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you feeling? And thanks for being here. Uh, looking forward to our conversation. Lots going on per usual. And uh, no one better to break it down than you three. Well, four. Yeah, exciting, guys. Me in that. <laughs> and I guess right. I said Ethereum was the only token with U.S. clarity in the intro. I'm at XRP, guys. Come on. But we already I have a hundred. I was going to say, I was like, wait, Ethereum is not. No. <laughs> I'm so excited, too. He, he, the adrenaline's he, pumping this morning. That's for sure, guys. And we already got 166 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Thank you for being here on this Friday morning. We're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. We're giving updates throughout the day. When we look at some of the daily movers this morning, there is one token at the center stage. That is Pulse Chain up 65%, but the rest of the token fairly red across the board. When we look at our Merlin market update this morning, we are sitting at 1.05 trillion in total market cap. 
Bitcoin is 48% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 25,900. Ethereum, 1650. And XRP sitting here at 52 cents. And Mark, this is where I really wanted to start the episode. As one of your friends, Raul Paul, put out a great statement about institutional adoption yesterday. I'd love to hear from you and Ellie. He said this asset class peaked at $3 trillion back in 2021, and it's almost impossible for retail investors to continue that pace of adoption. It it needs institutional capital as well, which drives the ongoing adoption curve. So in the view of Raul Paul, by the end of this cycle, we're probably going to be looking at a $10 trillion plus crypto space with the institutions finally moving in. And that really caught my attention this morning, Mark, but I did want to kick it over to you. Are we waiting on United States clarity, or do you think institutions are moving in and we're already sitting here just playing the waiting game. Um, I mean, institutions are here. I mean, there, there are institutions that, that own the asset. We have institutional investors in our, in our funds. There are institutions that, that own things like GBTC. But the big adoption wave is still coming. I mean, we are just at the knee of the curve if you think about an S-curve. So the way an S-curve works, it's a 30-year cycle first any new technology the first decade you get the first 10 percent. think about that 10 years to get 10 percent. in that next decade you get 80 percent i mean it just literally goes parabolic and if you've never read the book great boom ahead by harry dent you should it's it's a great ex it explains how s curves work the rest of his books are not that great but that one was really good um and actually in that book it's amazing he wrote it in 1991 he explains S-curves, but then he also predicted in 1991 that the primary method of attaching to the World Wide Web would be a handheld cellular phone. So he predicted the iPhone in 1991. Most people don't even know what the World Wide Web was. So that was a pretty good call. But the S-curve adoption that we're about to see, part of it is going to be clarity, regulatory clarity, and we got to get these bozos I shouldn't, I shouldn't call the guy who regulates me a bozo, but, but he kind of is. Um, and we need, we need the people who, who have, I'll call bad motives, you know, Operation Choke Point and all that good stuff. We need them out. And what we need is the acknowledgement that this is a global phenomenon, that this technological innovation as we go from trust to truth it's in 800 years coming. Think about that. This is an 800-year process, um, and but 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 it's going to happen, right? We're going to replace trust with truth, and I'll give you the, the quick the quick example of this. So Scott uh, Stornetta, who is the most cited guy in the Bitcoin white paper, if you go to the back and you read the footnotes, three of the eight footnotes are his work. He and his uh, partner were the founders. They were the co-fathers of blockchain technology. They literally had, hey, we have these blocks of information. We can chain them into, they created it. So I was talking to Scott and he said, well, I said, when did you have this, this epiphany? He said, well, I was thinking about it. And it, it went something like this, that if you think about how you trust people, right? Let's say I lent you money, Abs. I would need Johnny to arbitrate, right? That it was a fair transaction, right? The bank of Johnny. Well, but Johnny's corruptible. I could bribe him a little something to, you know, get him to say that, hey, Abs, you you borrowed 200 when you only borrowed 100. So we need Ellie 
to look over Johnny's shoulder. Well, but she's corruptible. So then we need someone to look over Ellie's shoulder. He said, it turns out you need the whole world to look over the shoulder. Well, wait a second, I can do that with blockchain. And so instead of having the Medici's and the Rothschilds at the center of all of this and the banking system, which skims, think about this, they skim $7 trillion a year. The trust system takes $7 trillion from all of us so that we can have audits and verified bank accounts and all that good stuff. We don't need that anymore. Blockchain, crypto, eliminates that because we replace trust with truth. So we don't need Johnny to look over our shoulder and Ellie to look over Johnny's shoulder and everyone else on this call to look over each other's shoulder. We have trust. I mean, we have truth. We have permanent immutable truth in a blockchain. And when Scott said that in this, in this podcast we recorded, it's like, oh my God, that, that's exactly it. And so this isn't going away. And the regulators can, can bitch and moan all they want, but this technology is here to stay. And it changes the way we all interact and exchange value for the rest of our days, which is pretty cool. It really is cool. And Johnny, that was a question that you actually asked me on the air yesterday. How much money does the legacy financial system make from transferring our assets between one another? $7 trillion. Mark Yusko just broke it down. And people are wondering, why are they so outspoken about crypto? I think we just got our answer. So here's yeah, the I wonder why. <laughs> remember, remember the line abs that um, a person's ability to understand something is directly proportional to how much money they make by not understanding it. Right. Oh, I've never heard that before. Ellie, yeah. I, that's really- If your livelihood depends on not understanding something, you will not understand it. It's almost so. like Gary Gensler went into the time machine when he walked into the SEC. And I probably shouldn't say his name with Mark on the show, so I apologize about that. But guys, we already got 265 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Ellie, I want to play this video out of Stellar CEO from this week as she sat down with the CEO of Franklin and Templar talking about how American regulation, it's inevitable. Great. So what can we in the blockchain and crypto space learn from someone who has been in this space for, or been in the financial services space for as long as you have? Uh, that and we can maybe do a little differently. I, you know, in the end, this will be regulated. Uh, you know, it, it's frustrating. There's not clarity. It's always hard to, you know, if you're if you're playing a game and you don't know what the rules are, that that can be difficult. But I think we have to, you know, work constructively with the regulators um, because it's coming, right? Because it's going to be the core to financial services. And if there's anybody who can address that right here, it is you, my friend, because with everyone shifting into digital assets, we're talking about financial firms, banking institutions, even retail investors are starting to understand Bitcoin and Ethereum and how these currencies work. Webmark discusses the adoption curve. I think a big part of this relies on regulation. And will we see a day in the next two years where America actually passes some sort of positive regulation where we can see these companies operating correctly within our borders? Do you believe that's the case? Yeah, I do. I think there's a need. There's a real need now for regulators to really sit up and take notice. We've seen Congress, right? We've got those bills in the House. We've got those bills in the Senate. You know, people are really starting to see crypto for what it is. And like you said, Mark, it's not going away anytime soon. It is here to stay. So, you know, we can either be blindfolded and, and you know, be resistant to it as much as we can as regulators and, and lawmakers, or we can, you know, really just come to the table and find some way to adopt this technology. 
So, you know, abs, you asked, is our institutions coming into the coming into play and regulation, like what comes first? And I think it's a mix of the two. I think you can't have, you know, institutional interest without, you know, some sort of clarity, right? We've, we've got to have those, you know, for institutions to really dive into this, there's got to be rules of the road. And I think that they will now speed that up. They will now sort of light that fire, right? Because there is that institutional interest and you've got the Black Rocks of the world, the Van X, the Wisdom Trees. It's not just the crypto companies anymore. It's not just the grayscales and the Coinbases saying, you know, here's this technology. We believe in it. You should believe in it too. It's now the Black Rocks and the Larry Finks of the world saying this Bitcoin is an international asset. Bitcoin is, uh, we, I can, I, you know, at BlackRock, we can give the masses access to Bitcoin, which is, you know, we, we will believe will be beneficial and down the road. So, you know, you've got these people coming in and I think that will really kind of dictate the speed at which we see, you know, regulatory clarity from the SEC, from lawmakers. We already see it in motion. I do think it's coming in the next two years. Mark, we yeah. had a really interesting conversation. Oh, go ahead. Floor is yours. No, I was going to say, I mean, Ellie sets it up so perfectly in the sense that let's think about what regulation is. What is it? It's rules created by who? Powerful, who are installed by whom? The incumbents. So let's think about how regulation happens. Initial regulation is created to preserve the status quo, to protect those in power, to keep the gravy train running. So the initial regulation stifles innovation. We don't want your stinking innovation. We're perfectly happy collecting our $7 trillion a year in grift. We don't want truth. We like trust. Trust is good. We're in charge of trust. So the regulation will always start to inhibit. It's like, I, I grew up, my dad was a cable guy. I mean, literally he had this small cable operation and John Malone went to Washington and paid a lot of money to get a law passed that made cable TV have to be addressable. What does that mean? That meant every cable system had to be two-directional. Two well, if you're a small cable operator, you don't have any money. You don't make enough money to do that. So what happened? They all went bust. John came in and bought them for pennies on the dollar. And magically, the law got lifted after he bought it and no one had to become addressable because that's how it works. And so this idea that, that someone is going to come in with an intelligent regulatory plan to make it easier to adopt a technology that's going to disrupt an entire industry. <laughs> Remember the bill, Al Gore, right? Didn't invent the internet, right? But he did save the internet. Believe it or not, he's actually really important. Why? Because the phone companies, AT&T and Verizon, which were the number one and two lobbying firms, lobbying just a technical term for corruption, okay? They lobbied really hard to get a bill passed that would have made the internet to make doing what we're doing right now, right? Which we are using voice over internet protocol. We are communicating for free. That used to be $3 a minute, long distance charges, okay? We're doing it for free. They passed a bill that would have made that illegal 
in the United States, the internet would have been illegal. And Al Gore was like, are you kidding me? This is stupid. Oh, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to pass that. And he was the deciding vote that said, no, we're not going to pass that. So that's a long-winded way of saying regulation will eventually be positive because it will be positive when crypto has flushed out the old and crypto then is ensconced as the better technology, which it is, then the regulation will be, then will be the incumbent and the thing that comes 30, 40, 50, whatever years from now in the next cycle, then we'll fight it. So we've talked about this before. First, they ignore you, 2009 to 15, bunch of nerds and geeks playing through magic internet money. We don't care. Then they laugh at you, 15 to 21. Ah, nerds and geeks, magic internet money, stupid. Then they fight you, 22 to 27. They're going to fight and they're going to fight hard. But 27, you win. And I will argue the fact that we're all here today, we've already won. And that's cool. It is Thank very you. cool. Uh, Ellie, I'd love to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, no, I 100% I, I agree. I think you make great points, Mark. I'm curious to know what you think the next, you know, after crypto, what will be the big disruptor, you know, after this? No, well, look, <laughs> that's that's part of the, the thing I love about my job is I get to hang out with the young people that make the future. And I'm a venture capitalist and that's what we do is we go we go find the young, passionate people. And I, I think we're so new in this cycle that trying to anticipate the next cycle is really, really hard. Mm. My blockchain is so fundamentally different from the system we've used for the last 800 years. I mean, you, you know, you think about it. We had ledgers for millennia, right? We had clay tablets, we had papyrus, and we had a single book. And, and literally, this is how it went down, right? I would lend money to abs, and I wrote down in my book, abs, you owe me 100 bucks. And if I was a scrupulous person, he'd come back a year later and pay me the 110, and life would be good. But if I was a bad guy, I just changed my book and say, Abs, you owe me 200. He's like, no, I only borrowed 100. It says right here, buddy, you owe me 200. And he had no recourse because that was the law, the book. So the Medicis, who I used to say borrowed, but they actually stole this idea from some monks. And I actually learned this summer, I thought it was great, Abs, you, you, you said, uh, uh, Franklin Templar. It's actually Franklin Templeton, but we were talking about the Templar Knights. The <laughs> Templar funny. Knights, these monks in Portugal, actually invented fractional reserve banking. And so the Medicis said, well, wait a second. I, I like this idea. So Mark, you keep a book. Abs, you keep a book. And we, the benevolent Medicis, for a little fee, we'll make sure that the books match. Dual entry accounting. Well, here's the problem. The Medicis, let's just say they were not such nice people. And you, I could go to them and say, guess what, guys? I'm going to change my book to 200. I'll give you half. So I don't make as much as telling Absio owes me 200 because I'm only going to get 150 now. But the Medicis get 50 for doing nothing except saying, Abs, your number's wrong. And so what blockchain does, it comes in and says, doesn't matter what Mark writes down doesn't matter what apps writes down. This is the number. And once we have that, 
everything fundamentally changes and value can be exchanged. Every stock, every bond, every currency, every commodity, every piece of art, every collectible car, every case of fine wine, every house, every private business, everything, all $700 trillion will eventually be digital, stored on blockchains as tokens, and we can interact. And so after that, I guess it's how do we leverage that system the same way that fractional reserve banking leverages the fiat system. And the problem with that is governments then can issue as much fiat as they want and destroy the value of the currency. But that's their plan, right? Inflation is grift. It's theft. It always has been. And how they sold... The only lie worse than convincing the populace that inflation is good was that Starbucks convinced an entire generation of people that a 1400 calorie milkshake is coffee. It's just not coffee. This is coffee. This is coffee. Mark, thank you so much. And guys, we got four, uh, 348 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that Woo! like button. This is a comment I wanted to get you and Ellie's opinion on because I think it's very interesting. We had a really great conversation before the show started. When the America began to outsource their manufacturing, we began to uh, begin the descent of U.S. dollar dominance. And I think we're seeing something similar with blockchain. You talked about how the corresponding banks right now make $7 trillion per year just facilitating assets, moving assets from one place to another, and supposedly doing it in the best way possible. What do you think is happening with the U.S. dollar right now? BRICS nations are expanding. The U.S. dollar is losing value by the day. Are we seeing an intentional situation, a 20, 30, 50-year plan come fully into effect right now where U.S. dollar dominance is shifting away from us and intentionally into the Russia, China, sort of BRICS nations dominance? I'd love to start with Mark. So, look, world reserve currencies are, are an ephemeral thing. I mean, literally, think about this. Portugal, which is the size of Indiana, had the world reserve currency for almost 100 years. Why? Because they had the tallest trees, therefore they had the fastest ships, the best sailors, best navy. They were the superpower. Then Spain took them over and they had the tallest mast, fastest ships. They had the world reserve currency for about another 75 years. Then France, Napoleon took them over. Well, here's the weird one. The Netherlands, Netherlands, it's Ohio. How the hell does Ohio take over France, the greatest army the world had ever seen. I mean, maybe Mark Anthony, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, um, not Mark Anthony, um, Alexander the Great might have been the best army, but, but Napoleon was right up there. How did they take it? Well, they created fiat money. The Rothschilds in 1607 created the first central bank in the Netherlands, and they started printing money to finance this war so they could take over, and they hired a bunch of mercenaries to take over France. So then they became the world's world reserve currency. Well, then half the Rothschilds moved to London, set up the Bank of England. They started printing more money and they became the super and they got the steam engine. So they had better ships. Then we coincidentally took the model from the Bank of England, created the Fed in 1913, took 31 years to become the superpower. We got nuclear power and and, uh, you know, won World War Two. So now we have had this dollar hegemony for 80, 80 years. Well, why is that going away? Why are the BRICS? Look, China 
has had a plan for 33 years, and they have another 27 years left in the current plan. China will be ultimately, I think, the world reserve currency, and it'll probably be part of the BRICS with them leading it. Well, how does that happen? How do, how do you lose debt, right? Fiat fiasco. You, you concentrate the power at the top, so the people at the top get all the power, and they overspend. And it's happened to every empire in the history of mankind, Roman Empire, Ottoman Empire, British Empire, American Empire. It all fails the same way. And so once that starts, then the upstarts say, hey, and why, why is China going to win? And the BRICS, and I'll, I'll put the BRICS as part of China. They're all being led by China, right? There's a reason Russia is aligning with China. There's a reason that, you know, Argentina is aligning with China, okay? Because 10 years ago, China and America duking it out. China made a choice to be the best in the world at 5G and AI. And we made a choice to be the best in the world at social media. We fucking rock Instagram. We are so good at social media. I'm going to argue that AI and 5G are more important because what they figured out was throughout history, the world reserve currency was owned by the country with the most powerful navy because wars were fought with ships. The next war is not going to be fought with ships. It's going to be fought with chips. And so superiority in cyber is why China and the BRICS are going to win. And that's where blockchain as part of cyber and tech, it all, it all facilitated. Why does China have the first CBDC? It's not an accident, right? It's not an accident. Do you think they'll, um, I mean, do you think China will kind of, I mean, they've been pretty, you know, uh, adamant to keep crypto, you know, well, you know, obviously with the Bitcoin mining stuff, but, but crypto itself, they've been pretty adamant to sort of keep it at bay. Um, you know, obviously they've, they're pushing ahead with AI. You talked about the CBDC. Are they eventually going to say, okay, blockchain and crypto is the way we're going to go. And they're just going to open the floodgates and that's it. Well, no, no, Ellie, that's exactly, that's the perfect point. They, they love blockchain. Right. They just just pretend that they don't. <laughs> they want their blockchain. They want the CBDC. They want the digital B because that's controllable. Look, maybe the most frightening thing in the world is a central bank digital currency, right? Programmable money. Think about this, right? Right now in China, they can tell you where you can spend your money, when you can spend your money, if you can spend your money. And, and how much. Well, and how much? Well, and, and, and how much is all that money, Martin? My and, question is: if we, we call it central bank digital currency, we call it money, but if it can't be spent openly and freely, I think it's something different. Would you agree? Oh, abs. Of course, it's currency. It's central bank digital currency. It's not money. And I, I misspoke. And thank you for, for calling me out. The only money in the world, gold, baby, is gold. Money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. But that's not hundred percent true. That is money too. Bitcoin is the digital equivalent of gold, an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. And you can argue that there are other crypto that, that have those elements, but you need critical mass and user base to be, uh, right? There are other metals, right? There's silver, there's copper, there's palladium, but gold is the only thing for 5,000 years that a single ounce has bought a fine person suit. It's been the perfect money. Everything else 
is built on top of it. Gold sits in central bank vaults. Then they issue debt. Governments issue debt and issue currency. Currencies are different than money. And that's a very, very important point, Abs. Mark, can you just start? Yes, I was just going to ask you and Ellie right here. This is the gold ETF chart. And what happened to the price right after this product was launched really does speak for itself. The product went from about $330 to just below $2,000. Now, as you can see, we descended to 1000 and back up to those price levels. Now, I like to say this is a great cup and handle for our gold investors out there, but I'm no chart expert, so that's a complete guess. But Mark, I did want to get some of your thoughts. When we talk about ETF products coming into the United States, I think Ellie can speak to this. We are definitely closer than ever. And we played a video earlier in this episode from somebody at the Stellar Foundation talking about how regulation is essential for these new financial products. So the question that I have for both you and Ellie is if we do get similar products, derivative services for crypto products like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, possibly an XRP and so on, would you anticipate the same type of movement? This is a long-term time frame. Remember, this price chart right here from 2004, this is all the way to 2012. So it's almost a decade for that price to go from 300 all the way to two grand. But do you believe we could see something similar? And then we'll kick it to Ellie. 100%. I mean, 100%. And, and look, futures are why the left-hand side of that chart was so flat, right? Gold prices were dead flat for a long time because you had gold futures that were allowed to be used to manipulate the price of gold because central bank didn't want the price of gold to rise because that would have made people afraid of what was happening, which was inflation. So inflation is robbing our wealth slowly but surely every day, transferring it to the people at the top. And so you spoof the price of gold using futures. You sell paper gold or paper oil or paper ags, whatever you want. And anytime there's more paper assets than physical assets, you get price suppression. So once JP Morgan was short, or, uh, yeah, short enough gold, they needed someone to be on the other side. So they're like, okay, you can approve the gold ETF. Well, once the gold ETF was approved, now you have actual demand for physical gold, not just paper gold. And boom, it takes off. And then we had the same thing with Bitcoin. It is not a coincidence that the exact peak of Bitcoin price in the last cycle was on the same day that they approved the futures ETF. And a billion dollars went into that. Why? Because JP Morgan needed someone to be on the other side of them shorting the shit out of Bitcoin. Well, why would they short the shit out of Bitcoin? Well, because BlackRock hadn't gotten their ETF approved yet. So you need the price to be lower before you buy. This is the oldest trick in the book, right? When, when George Soros used to want to buy copper. He didn't go out and start buying copper. He went short copper and he spread rumors that copper was the worst thing in the world to push the price down. Then he would go buy a lot of it. That's how it works. People have been doing that forever. You know, you just, you watch what people do, not what they say. It's like if, if you follow Goldman Sachs research, I shouldn't pick on Goldman Sachs, but it's really easy. You look at what they say in their research report and you look what they do in their prop trading. Oh, wait, they don't do prop trading anymore because they're um, uh, 
well, what the hell is it called? The the bill that got passed after the global financial crisis. They still do prop trading. So if you watch what they do, prop trading is always different than what their research says. Well, it's because they need someone to sell to them, which would be their customers, which is not a really good way to run your business. But anyway, um, I'll leave it there. It's certainly no coincidence that 2017, Larry Fink was calling Bitcoin and crypto, you know, the the tool for for the index know, of money launderers, right? So the money launderers, the drug the, trade, the everything. Yeah. And then, you know, magically, you know, the year that BlackRock decides to launch an application for a Bitcoin spot ETF, Larry Fink is bullish on Bitcoin. He's bullish on the future of crypto. So I think you're right, Mark. None of this stuff happens coincidentally, and it's all at the behest of the big players like the JP Morgans, like the Goldman Sachs, like the BlackRocks. And when yeah. they want to get in, they'll get in. They, no, they will. And, and just, someone just asked the question, you know, why 2027? It doesn't have to be 2027. It has to do with the way cycles play out. They tend to be roughly in, in similar times. Um, so the first they ignore you phase lasted about six years. The, then, they, uh, then they laugh at you phase lasted about six years. And uh, then they fight you phase probably lasts a roughly equivalent. It doesn't have to be that, but that's usually the way in history that's worked. Then you have this four-year cycle in, in Bitcoin and other crypto, and that's related to the halving. And look, it's not a coincidence that in 17, right, which was the previous peak cycle, Larry Fink was out there saying, this is, this is bad. This is money laundering. And I used to laugh at him when he'd say that, but then I didn't realize he had inside information because they were the ones doing all the money laundering. So um, now he gets up on TV a month ago and says, it's here to stay. The institutions are going to buy it. And you, everyone listening to me, should own a little. And this was crazy that he said this out loud to protect yourself against devaluation of the currency. Right. Everyone's talking about inflation. There's more inflation. You had that chart of the inflation spike and everyone's trying to say, oh, so it's just like the 70s. No, it's not. The 70s was about demand pull inflation. Excess demand, limited supply, price of goods goes up. Right. We had the oil embargo in Iran, uh, uh, Iran-Contra scandal. Got it. It's because the boomers, right, my brethren and sisterin, we're all building houses and having kids and taking vacations and spending like crazy. And there was excess demand. Okay. This is not that at all. This spike in quote unquote inflation that happened after 2020, it's because the cult of Kelton, Stephanie freaking Kelton, ridiculous, convinced people you can print as much money as you want. And it doesn't matter because we're the world reserve currency. Are you joking? If I have a trillion dollars, and I print another trillion dollars. What just happened to the value of my money? It just Got went it down in half. in half. And that's exactly what happened. We've been a republic for 247 years. 244 years, 10 trillion. Three years, 10 trillion. We printed half of all the money in the history of the republic in three years. It's ridiculous. And people were surprised. Can I put a positive spin on this, Mark? And sorry to jump in there. I just wanted to ask you: Do you think at some point, because all that new liquidity was printed, it has to flow into 
and into assets, whether it's real estate, cash flow businesses, or even digital assets, do you think we're going to see a massive increase in asset prices because of all this excess liquidity? Again, great question. The problem is it didn't flow. All they did is create reserves on banks, but no one borrowed any money. The demand for loans was collapsing because the average person, first of all, you have to separate. I, I showed this great, I was in Chicago doing a, a talk yesterday and I had this great cartoon. And you know, you hear soft landing, hard landing, no landing. And it was this cartoon of this big jumbo jet. And at the top, right, the top part of the 747, they had the, you know, the 1%, you know, they're sipping champagne in, in, the, in the lounge. And in the middle section, it said, you know, the, the uh, upper class. And then holding on to the, the landing gear, said everybody else. Doesn't matter what kind of landing, if you're holding on to landing gear, it sucks. So if you're in the plane, it's all good. Well, the only people in the plane are the super rich people. And so that money that was created never circulated. You look at the velocity of money, it's a one direction trip down for the last 35 years. And it's because the average person doesn't have any money. Right? They don't have $500 for an emergency. Wow. And so they handed out 1200 bucks a person right after COVID, after the lockdowns. And that helped, right? People felt wealthier and people spent. Um, but that's gone now. And now it's why they got to talk about loan forgiveness and UBI. Because if that money just sits on bank balance sheets, all it does is make bankers richer. Mm -hmm. But that's why the Fed exists and the Bank of England and the Netherlands National Central Bank. They're, remember, the Fed, not federal, no reserves. It's a private corporation owned by wealthy families to support banks. That's why it exists. And by devaluing the currency, and you guys have heard me talk about this, you know, according to Zillow, my house went up 40% in the last two years. It's bullshit. My house did not grow. It did not get more efficient. It actually wore out. I had to put money into it. The money got worse. And when the money gets worse, the things that we try to buy with it seem more expensive, but they're the same. That's right. Right? The gallon of gas I put in my car does the same thing. Well, actually, I don't have a gas car anymore, but if I did, it would do the same thing. But it costs more because the money's not as good. Yeah. Johnny, I know okay. you had some comments. So I just want to get one last question in here, Mark. Do we have an economic problem where they give everybody $1,200, but those people can only spend that money in a certain amount of locations, and those locations are owned by the same families who are sitting in the plane, as you just described, the Johnny Cryptos of the world, as I like to say. So It is the greatest. It, it's one of the great insights that, that no one talks about, and it's very sad. <laughs> the lockdowns um, were not an accident. Uh, we took literally the flu, right? The seasonal flu. We renamed it. We locked down the whole world. Why? It was a transfer of $3 trillion. Mm -hmm. Just let that number hang there for a second. Remember a trillion is a dollar every second for 31,710 years. It's a long time. 3 trillion went from the people getting those handouts to the people at the top of the plane. Jeff, Bill, George, and you know who I'm talking about. If you don't have to use our last name, it's a pretty big deal. 
but those people benefited and this was as this was as corrupt remember when when trump was taking credit for cutting corporate taxes yeah remember that mm. his idea has nothing to do with trump okay who did that warren buffett how did warren do that warren had this thing he said i'm gonna buy this stock apple i hate tech but i'm gonna buy the stock apple but here's here's what's gonna happen you congress you're gonna pass this law to cut their taxes if they pledge to buy back my shares because Apple's not actually growing anymore. Apple's income this year is the same as 2015. No, Mark, the earnings per share is way up. No, the share count's way down. They bought back shares. The actual earnings, their earnings growth is zero. So it's, it's a manipulation. It's, it's a figment of people's imagination. Warren gets super rich because they're buying his shares and he never pays tax because his dad was a famous congressman years ago and they got a law passed. It's the only company in the world that will never pay tax. Berkshire Hathaway, it's amazing. And I'm not criticizing Warren Buffett. I'm just telling you, he's not the grandfatherly value investor pining over balance sheets. He's the greatest financial engineer in the history of financial engineering. And he's a really good politician. Remember when Bank of America was about to go under? Who got the call to lend them money? He said he was Berkshire. in his house when he got the call. Goldman Sachs, Warren. He gets deals that other people don't get. It's good. That is a good business to be in. And I wonder how much of that is still happening to this day, Mark. We talk about a lot of the corruption of the past, but a lot of the stuff that's happening right now, we're going to be looking in 2027 saying, I can't believe we didn't see that happening. And I know you're ahead of the game, but for people like me, this eye, this information is eye-opening. This makes me go and do hours of research because I find this stuff so fascinating. But guys, we got 440 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Ellie, this is the XRP portion of the episode because right now it's the ISDA against Gary Gensler here when we're talking about matter of law. And that's only a joke for our listeners, of course. But earlier this month, Ripple becomes a member of the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, which does 1.2 quadrillion in the derivatives market alone. And Mark, if it takes 31,000 years to get to a trillion, what's the math on a quadrillion? I'd really like to know. Oh what's my God, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right now. <laughs> Millennia, eternity. Um, but Ellie, this I is not have a big enough calculator. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, one of the things that's exciting about this, Ellie, is the partnerships involved in this association. So Ripple, Algorand, and Crypto.com were the three crypto projects chosen to be involved. But this think tank involves much larger names. BlackRock, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and BMY Mellon are just a few of the dominant names involved here. Now, we're going to turn this into a broader conversation because XRP officially received regulatory clarity. And we've got you and Mark here, so I want to get both of your opinions. Here are a couple of news articles that have happened since the Ripple ruling. So first of all, we had Ripple join the BIS task force for cross-border payments. There were some fake news articles going out there stating they were using the XRPL. Now, obviously, that is not true. But what is true is that Ripple is involved in the think tank for cross-border payments. So pretty interesting news there. We also had MasterCard uh, announcing a, an official partnership with a CBDC partner, Ripple, 
and consensus. So we got an Ethereum group here and the XRPL working together. The third announcement I want to go over is Ripple joins the top global derivatives trade body, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association. And I think we should get accustomed to seeing big headlines like this, Ellie, since currently XRP is the only token with regulatory clarity in the United States. And I'd really like to get your opinion before Mark's. With all of this news taking place globally, we're seeing blockchain adoption in Hong Kong, Singapore, the UAE. The United States is playing a game where they're going to have to catch up. And I think this product could be one that capitalized on a lot of that growth. So first of all, how did you feel about the Ripple ruling? Is there anything you think our community might not be aware of? And overall, do you think we're going to continue to see announcements like this one coming out of Ripple? Yeah, well, in terms of the announcements for Ripple, you know, they are, you know, a multi-billion dollar company at this point, right? I mean, they they were prohibited from making any kind of moves, making any kind of gains in the United States because of this uh, SEC action. But they they remedied that by doing work overseas, right? You know, they're, they are pretty big players uh, for cross-border payments, not in the U.S. So they already have this very well-established uh, business model that they're using. And it was really just the obstacle of getting this lawsuit out of the way and, you know, before they could really come here and, and set up shop here. So I think in, in answer to your question, Abs, yes, I think there will be more headlines similar to these, you know, Ripple, you know, making moves here in the U.S. and, and joining the ISDA is, is definitely a big step. Um, you know, I think the case, it's obviously dragging out a lot longer than, you know, perhaps people were expecting it or wanted it to. You know, now we've got a trial in the second half of 2024. The latest news this past week was that the, you know, the SEC and Ripple uh, notified Judge Torres saying, you know, these are the dates that we're available and the dates that we're not. It's looking now that a trial will be set probably anytime after April 19th. So, you know, that's you know, that's that's next year. That's that's not super close. So, you know, this thing is is dragging out a little bit. Right. So, you know, we're going to have to kind of wait and see what happens there. We've also got an interlocutory appeal on the table from the SEC. That's in the works now. Um, they you know, they filed their motion to leave to file an appeal. Now Ripple's got to respond by September 1st and the SEC has to, can file comments, I believe, September 8th. So, you know, we are kicking the ball a little bit further down the court here. Um, so, you know, will there be, you know, any big resolution to this, you know, ongoing case in the next year? Definitely not this year, for sure. Um, I think, you know, Ripple, Ripple's already talking about an IPO, you know, and there's, there's some consensus that they may list on the LSE, the London Stock Exchange. Um, you know, they they have plans and, uh, you know, they're making these big announcements. I, I see more coming from them. Um, and I think, you know, this sort of the, the appeal and obviously the trial, they're confident in their uh, in, in what's going to happen in the trial. I think Stu Alderati, the GC, has said, you know, we're very confident in, in the outcome for Brad and Chris. Um, basically what it is, 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 is the court has to decide or a jury has to decide whether or not Brad and Chris were you know, facilitating or they were aiding and abetting those sales of institutional, institutional sales of XRP, which Judge Torres did say constituted an investment contract. Um, there's a lot of things at play here, and I think it's going to take a little bit more time to hash out. But, um, um, you know, Ripple's making moves. Mark, this is a really exciting segment for all of our listeners out there because they love to hear your opinion on XRP. So first of all, I've got a couple specific questions, but broadly overall, what did you think of the ruling? Were you surprised by anything and did it change your perspective whatsoever? I was a little surprised um, in the, how it was bifurcated. So you had the uh, pretty clear uh, ruling 
least in one judge's eyes, that all transactions post offering are not securities. It's kind of the way I look at the world, but that 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 was good. So that that actually surprised me that there was that much clarity. The fact that the issuance was was pretty much cut and dried again. That the surprise to me was that it was so extreme. Yep, that is. And what was funny to me was there was like, hey, you said if you come at the king and you miss, you better be careful. Well, we won. I'm like, well, no. I mean, kind of. I mean, there was a win. It wasn't the win. And, you know, XRP doubled and that's given almost 100% of that move back. So it was a victory, just like, you know, the renminbi is a reserve currency. It's not the reserve currency uh, today. So I do think it's a positive. And, you know, for me, it, it still comes down to show me the money, right? Show me the use cases. Show me the implementation. There's a lot of discussion and a lot of talk or we're talking to this bank or we're talking to this bank and we're going to have, you know, we're going to be the payment rails for this and, and we're going to replace SWIFT. Great. And, you know, is the SEC going to appeal? I, I, think, I think the SEC is just wasting people's time and money, really literally poking the eye of, of you know, because they know those guys have money that, that they want to spend. The problem for the SEC, I mean, the SEC doesn't have a budget, right? The only way they fund themselves is by finding people. So, you know, they can go find JP Morgan, another, you know, billion dollars for spoofing gold prices, which they probably will, and use that to, to you know, make uh, silly lawsuits. But that seems like a bad use of time. Um, I think they, they could do, do some other things better. I, I will say I want to believe that XRP is a chain that could be used as a payments rail that would be superior to SWIFT. I want to say that. But I could say that about a few other things too. And who wins is, is, is the tougher question for me. And SWIFT isn't going to give up without a fight. But I'll, I'll tell you how bad it is. I think I, I don't know if I told this on this show or another show, but we had a situation where it was crazy. We had a client in Australia and they had a hacker get into their email and literally, I guess, had a bot because I can't believe it was a physical person, but literally was scanning their email. And we sent something saying, hey, we're sending you a wire transfer for you know, the investment you made. And they immediately sent an email back saying, oh, I've changed my wire instructions. Here are the new wire instructions. And it came from his email. And so we just followed the instructions and we sent it. And um, turns out he calls us, I didn't get the money. And then they found out about the hacker, all this stuff. And so we called the bank and we're like, hey, you know, you should have tracked this in Swift and they're like, we lost the SWIFT message. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> they said, well, we printed out the facts. Got a piece of paper. That's right. No, 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 Johnny. They the facts? printed out the facts. Did you say this? He, ab, ab, they lost the, the piece of paper. 
I'm like, guys, this is the 21st century. Yeah, make this up. You, you couldn't make that up? Yeah. And like, no, that, that, that's, that's not even possible. That can't happen, right. But, but it did. And so something has to replace that system. And, and if we go back to my point about there's gold, there's Fedwire, there's ACH, and there's Visa. Like, I don't actually use money ever. I use a plastic card that doesn't even use money. It is just a database of my transactions for the month. And then once a month, I settle to another ledger in my bank account, which settles to another ledger at, at the Fed, which eventually is secured by money, gold. Okay. That could all get blown out and I'd be happy to use some blockchain system. But until you show me proof that, not you, but until somebody shows me proof that they're getting uh, Back traction, it's just hard for me to pick. Now, one argument would be, well, then you should own them all. Good argument. And we do own most, but we don't own Stellar at XRP because of the concentration issue. I know that's not as concentrated as Ethereum. It's an argument for another day. But um, I, I'm, I'm further along in my, my journey, but I'm still not quite there yet. And we're excited we get to document that journey, Mark. Um, Ellie, I know you had a question, so I'm going to give you the open floor and we'll continue. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think there's some, you know, research to suggest or, you know, at least some potential schools of thought that Ripple or XRP are involved in the new FedNow system. I don't know what you guys think about that because there's been, I've seen posts galore on that. So that would be, you know, quite an interesting development if true. It definitely would yeah. be. And Mark, they often say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And one of the things I think that could be coming into effect with Ripple as we continue to see these big names connected to Ripple, the company, remember, Ripple is not XRP. And I'm not reminding you, Mark, just our listeners. Ripple and XRP are completely separate things. Ripple is the company. XRP is the digital asset they use to facilitate payments. But one of the things that clearly sticks out to me is that NDAs could be coming into effect. And I know you said there's a lot of announcements, but there hasn't been any use cases. And I think that could be important. Do you think NDAs are playing a role here? Actually, I'd like to start with Ellie and then we'll go to Mark. When you say NDAs, non-disclosure agreements? Yes, non-disclosure agreements. Okay, I'm going to kick that to Mark first. <laughs> I want to hear Mark's well, uh, <laughs> So I will just kick, we'll just, we'll just all kick it because we don't know because of NDAs. Right. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. no, look, I... There's so much here that this hard, and I don't know if it's NDAs or if it's just who you know. You know, it, it turns out that you could make a case, not that I am, but you could make a case that Joe and Consensus and Ethereum don't get the same level of scrutiny as other assets and other chains and other projects. Well, why would that be? I don't know. You can come up with lots of potential reasons, who you know, who you went to school with. You, you could make that. Look, <laughs> I tell the story all the time. When I first went down the rabbit hole in 13, I Googled Satoshi Nakamoto and up pops Intelligence Central. 
what the hell? That's, that's way too close to CIA. What, what the hell is that? Well, it turns out Satoshi means intelligence. Nakamoto is the surname of families in Japan that live in the central province. And so for years, I, I struggled with, well, what if the CIA created this knowing that the dollar was going down the toilet and they wanted people to convert fiat into this other thing and there was a backdoor and they'd steal it all? It's like, shit, that would be bad. And so, again, I was talking to Scott Stornetta. And again, he's forgotten more about blockchain than I'll ever know. And he said, Scott, what do you think about this? He said, nope. Like that fast, like that fast. He said, no. Like, okay, I like your answer, but, but how are you so confident? He said, look, I've never really thought about that. It's an interesting idea and kind of makes some sense. If I were a failing government, I, I might actually do that. Um, but the way you're thinking about a backdoor can't exist in Bitcoin. Because there's an air gap. Now, with a th- he said, but with Ethereum, there could definitely be a backdoor. My pull. So anyway, um, it just the who you know part is is kind of kind of crazy, and and it's also who you piss off, right? And the way the SEC is acting toward XRP, that's a little unnatural, if you ask me. Because there are other projects they could go after with equal vigor, but they don't seem to. Ellie, I'm not sure if you have a question, but I have a follow-up if you don't. Do you, I just wanted to give you a chance to ask something if you have a question. No, no question. Go ahead. Okay. Mark, one of the things that we've talked about with XRP in particular, and you, you brought up the relationship with Joseph Lubin and former SEC officials, so I think it's safe that we can go there. Bill Hinman was employed by Simpson and Thatcher, went to the SEC, was very pro-Ethereum, and then retired and hired by Simpson and Thatcher. And Simpson and Thatcher publicly is part of the Ethereum Alliance. So when you draw those connections to say, why are they attacking what could be considered the main competitor to Ethereum and XRP, do you think there's some nefarious incentive there? What do you think? I, 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 I observe the same facts that you observe. And those are facts, right? Those, those are not conjecture. But I observe the same facts about our buddy Sam, right? So Sam gets the same lawyer as Jazane Maxwell. That's weird. It's just a weird thing. But then here's the weirder part. So when Sam got arrested, he was assigned a judge. Normal assignment. Well, then the judge got changed to the wife of the guy who wrote the legal documents with Sullivan and Cromwell for XR, for um, FTX. That's weird. And if you go back and look at Sullivan and Cromwell's history and tying to dark money and money laundering and all kinds of, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Then you look at what FTX, look in the old days, I talked about this, I think I've said it on the show. In the old days, I wanna make Johnny my friend. I meet Johnny for lunch, I have my backpack, I leave it on the, the bench. I walk away. Johnny's like, hey, Mark, your backpack. I just keep walking. He looks in the backpack. It's full of cash. Ah, all right. I must have to do something nice for Mark. Okay, good. Not traceable. Just nice and easy. Good corruption. Well, record, that treatment still works on Johnny Crypto, Mark. Just it does. I know. I know. <laughs> Come on. And But here's the thing. If, if I wanted to create um, a favorite you know, kind of thing. And I wanted to send money 
to the Ukrainian government, and then I wanted the government to send it back to some corporation in the United States, and then have that corporation make a donation to the people that sent the money to to Ukraine. I probably wouldn't want to do that on chain if I didn't want to get caught. But that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Ukraine sent it to FTX on chain. FTX sent it to Alameda on chain. Alameda sent it to a shell company owned solely by SBF on chain. And then he made donations to political candidates. Like if you looked up the term money laundering, that would that would be the picture you would get. So I, I don't really understand unless, again, you know the right people who are going to get you off. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, Caroline already cut a deal. The other guy already cut a deal. It's weird. I'm wondering if we are going to see a natural shift into better technologies. Like we said at the beginning, Mark, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And for right now, the Ethereum Alliance seems to know all the right people. But as this technology becomes more readily available, I'm wondering if we'll see competitors. You brought it up. Stellar is a competitor creating a smart contract product right now that they hope can facilitate payments the same way Ethereum does for smart contracts, but for a fraction of the cost and in a fraction of the time. And so as somebody who's very smart and knows so much about this market, do you think that's that's a concern for the Ethereum investors that these alliances and these relationships have gotten them so far, but there will be a day when emerging technologies and better technologies mm. take center. It, again, it's, it's beautiful analysis, Abs. It's exactly the way we should be thinking about this. Unfortunately, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, the world works just a little bit different. And, and Paul Romer, uh, won the Nobel Prize four years ago, five years ago, I can't remember, um, Stanford professor. And he created something called the Law of Increasing Returns. And it has two tenets. One is, like I was in Chicago yesterday, if you walk down State Street in Chicago, there are 100 shoe stores. Like, why are all the shoe stores on one street? Law of Increasing Returns, right? Why are four gas stations on a corner? Why does Target always you know, uh, locate across the street from Walmart? Why is KFC always across from Burger King? Why are all car dealerships on the same row? That's the law of increasing returns. But the second part of it, and I think this is the more genius part, was it's not the best technology that wins. It's the technology that gets critical mass first. And so there are lots of examples in history where good technology doesn't win because somebody else either knew the right people or paid the right people or just serendipitously got lucky, right? You could argue VHS and Betamax really wasn't like graft and corruption. It was just VHS got the deal with Sony and Sony had bigger distribution. So more people bought Sony. Um, maybe there was corruption. I don't know, but, but that, that could just be luck. So I, I think there Speed, um, cost, all those things are what long-term is going to be the winner. Totally agree with that. But there is one piece of this cycle that's a little bit different. So in Web 1, in the transition to Web 2, you had closed source system. So MySpace got pummeled by Facebook because Facebook had a better distribution mechanism. 
right? It was the, hey, you got to, you know, get an invitation and it's cool. And, and so they grew faster. So they got critical mass better using college campuses. But MySpace couldn't go in and look at their code and find out how to compete. In an open source world, in a post Red Hat world, if, if you invent something, Abs, that's better, I can copy paste. And, and you can do that with SegWit. You can do that with Taproot. You can, and Bitcoin doesn't have to in, reinvent everything. And it can be slow and it can be clunky, but it can get critical mass. And if Ethereum is installed enough and it can and steal in, in the best possible sense technology from others, I don't know, but I, I said, I don't think it's settled. And I probably lean and, you know, people will like this. I lean toward better tech winning. I do. And I think in this cycle, because of open source, there's potential for that uh, kind of stealing to backfire and that people with better communities win. And that is the one thing I'll give XRP some credit for, is the community's pretty strong. Yeah. Some would say I the strongest. I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely, there's definitely strong. You know, uh, you talked earlier about, you know, the community coming out and saying, oh, they got a win. And, and I actually agree with you. It wasn't a win. It was a split. Um, so it's like, it's like overtime. Nobody really won. In fact, they're going to still get the monkey still on their back with this whole appeal potentially, right? But where I do think there is a win isn't so much in, you know, whether security or not, but the fact that now there were U.S. companies starting to work with Ripple again. You're starting to see announcements of companies willing to talk to them. You're seeing Ripple sitting on these committees now. And the reason why I think that's important, Mark, is I'm, I'm, I'm in technology. And I remember when we were developing uh, the wireless communication when ABS was in diapers, we're developing, you know, what it was. And we didn't know what it was going to be Bluetooth. There were so many different protocols out there. But for one of those protocols to win, those companies who developed those protocols had to have a seat at the table. And then you have a chance to win. And yep. so that's the one thing for me that I see maybe the win here is now that Ripple's able to sit at the table again, you're seeing them on the, you know, on the, on the BIS board. You're seeing them on the ISDA board. You're seeing them partner with other banking communities. As they become more and more of these consortiums, there's a higher probability that potentially now their technology will get discussed. They'll be in trial. You know, technology, the way it works is you ad- companies will play with it. They'll adopt it. They'll try it in the background, do some prototype, see if it works, see if it can save their bottom line. And if it does, there's a higher chance. So for me, I think that's maybe where the real win is here in the short term in the next year or two, you know, until we see what happens with yeah. the overturn. I think think it's really, really good analysis. And and the analogy back to telecom wars is a good one in that, you know, CDMA, TDMA, there were all kinds of, no, there were all kinds of debates and it it wasn't necessarily the best tech. It was that Qualcomm made the right decision to say, I don't need to be standalone. I just need to be inside every one That's of these. Right. And I'll take my right. $1. All I want exactly. is $1. And I don't need to have my name on the on the cover of everything. And 
look, there was a time, think about this, there was a time when Nokia and Motorola had 95% market share. Market. That's right. Today, sub 0.5, right? I mean, it's gone. And Android, this, this is my favorite, right? Everyone thinks Apple's superior. Yep. 19% global market right. share. One nine. Android, which is owned by Google. When Google bought Android in 2010, people said, you're idiots. What are you doing? What do you know about operating systems? <laughs> Enough to know that this is going to be important. And now they have 80% market share globally of the thing that drives you know, our lives. So that next iteration is what we're talking about is, is blockchains. I will, my one word of caution, and nobody wants me to say this, but my one word of caution for, for the, you know, the ripple ecosystem and, and for, and look, Brad doesn't need my advice. He's way more successful than I have. I've been, but aligning yourself with the incumbents I don't know if you've seen the show, Mr. Robot, which mm. I, I almost couldn't get through it because the we body count was too high. It's really purpose. kind of disturbing. But but the writing was absolute mad genius. Brilliant. And the acting, I mean, the guy was, was incredible. But oh, the story of Evil Corp is J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And don't don't for a second think that BIS, right, which has a 400-year-old treaty that the Rothschilds put in place, they get paid every single time someone transfers money across international borders. Like, what the hell? Seriously? Rothschilds are really powerful. And, and again, never forget, the single family, the Rothschild family, has more wealth. Now, it's a big-ass family. Has more wealth than the bottom 6 billion people on this planet. That is a fact. And so that treaty and that power structure and evil corp is, is tough. And so if I were trying to liberate all of us from that, I probably wouldn't start partnering with them. Me. But that, that, oh. that's just me. Well, you saw what All happened right. with hey, the hey, I got with something them. interesting, Johnny. Let me, get, let me throw this in here because we have some evidence that the Rothschilds are not only involved with XRP, they own 8% of SBI. And SBI is a massive investor in XRP. So there's an interesting third-party oh. connection there. And Mark, you know what really gets me excited is you talked about having common goals, right? What do they want? They want to control the monetary system and be able to profit off of that. Well, what is Ripple in talks with every single day? central bank digital currencies and the xrp community we are advocates of our technologies but we're definitely not sitting here promoting cbdc's so i just wanted to get some thoughts i'll pull up a document to prove this to you sbi is an investor in ripple they own about eight percent of the company and sbi is owned by a rothschild investment trust so really really interesting stuff would that sway your opinion at all i don't know i just thought that was cool um it would actually make my point even more true than I thought, and it would frighten me even more. Um, but to your point, Abs, it would make me think, look, this transition from trust to truth isn't going to happen overnight, nope. and it isn't going to be 
um, seamless and it's not going to be without casualties. And so, um, I'm going to, you just, you just cost me a bunch of hours this weekend in a good way. Um, (laughs) I'm going to have to go down that rabbit hole. Go down the hole. Yeah, you'll see it. I mean, at the end of the day, you saw what happened when they chose not to be partners with them. They got a lawsuit slapped on them, right? By, by the law, by the, by their long arm of the law. So I guess now coming the other side around, we'll see if they end up, um, Maybe, maybe Ripple decided, like, okay, can't beat them, so we're going to join them kind of approach, Mark, is that's certainly what it feels like, I think, from, from that perspective. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's hard to not think that they won't have a place to play in, in this space based on their technology. But you're right. You know, they are, they are going after the system. Well, and let me, let me flip it around. So the positive spin on this, it's interesting. I'm, I'm making this up in real time. The positive spin on this is if I'm the Rothschilds and BIS, and you can put WEF in here too, but but let's just just keep it clean for now. And I see Bitcoin happen, and I see decentralization happen. I need to fight back. Well, what history has shown us is Rothschilds don't fight fair. They get armed better than their competition and they win. They're kind of undefeated. And so uh, this is very interesting. So if they, pretty smart people, had a chance to look out at the available options and they chose XRP as opposed to Ethereum or, or something similar. Hmm. There's information content there. That that's interesting to me. This yeah. is going to be and remember. It's, and remember what XRP does lowers your low lowers your back end cost. They're not going to lower their front end costs, and so they just tend to make they expand their margin property or their margins even more. Mark, if you think about it, at the end of the day, right? Because all we're really talking about when we talk about blockchain, for the most part, is all the way the back end is going to work. Where the way, the part that no, most people don't give yeah. a crap. Nobody cares how I make a phone call to you or how money gets sent from me to you, right? Nobody gives a shit. They don't care. They just want it to be faster, cheaper, better, and we know that. That's what these solutions will provide. So for me, I look at it like, okay, we know that these guys want to make money. You've got a system that's efficient, way better than the SWIFT system today, much yep. faster, much quicker, and lower cost. So you're yep. telling me I can keep this, I can put a better system in place, have lower costs, and I can still charge the same fees and make even more money. Uh, that's good. All right, guys, I, I unfortunately have to drop, and um, people would rather... Uh, listen to Ellie anyway, but no, I have to go always, too, unfortunately. <laughs> as as always, uh, love being with you guys. Uh, appreciate the, I appreciate the, the open dialogue and the ability to to explore big ideas. Uh, yeah. and without without judgment, so I, I do appreciate that. So you guys have a great weekend, and uh, we will talk again soon. You Thank too, you Mark. So Next time we have you on your show, we're going to love to hear your research that you did this weekend. Let us know. All right. I'm on it. See you guys. Awesome, guys. All right, All right, you, Mark. Thanks again. And Ellie, Thank I think you, it's buddy. a great time for just 
Mark said a lot there. So I'd like to hear what's on your mind and we can close out the show. Yeah, I mean, I would sit here happily and listen to Mark for another two hours, to be frank, because I've, exactly. I've learned so <laughs> That's much. That's what we do. So. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been uh, on this show with him. So, yeah, I mean, I think he makes a lot of great points. Um, you know, in terms of, I think the CBDC, obviously it's coming, right? It's pretty inevitable. I think we're going to see it no matter what. Um, you know, and I think that's the the interesting part here is, you know, people who support Ripple, right? People who, you know, have XRP, the XRP community. It's, and like you said, Abs, it's, it's, you're not advocating by any means for a CBDC, but Ripple has this technology. They've established this technology. They're going to do obviously what is, you know, best for their company, what's going to make them maximum returns. Um, I think it's, you know, just a matter of time until they, they go even further into this, but you know, it's, it, they've really, uh, that one thing that was missing was the, was the, the obstacle of the, you know, the lawsuit, right? It was holding them back in the U S now it's still going on, but you know, there's, there's favorable, you know, people are thinking there's going to be favorable outcomes there and they're joining all these boards. They're becoming part of all these organizations. And that's why I really say, that's why I thought, and why I said earlier, you're going to see, you're going to see more announcements and more big things coming from Ripple down the line. Um, I'm sure you guys would probably agree with me as well. Absolutely, Ellie. And I know Mark brought a couple things. He broke down a couple of really interesting facts here, but I want to switch the conversation to some insight you may have at Fox Business. So at the beginning of the episode, you talked about how you've had the opportunity to interview Larry Fink on your platform. Is there anything you can share about how his relationship to crypto has changed over the years? I was watching an interview from 2017 that Charlie did with Larry. And at the time he was calling it corrupt, nefarious, all the things that we've heard before. But you actually get to see him when the cameras are off. So maybe you can explain that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah. So I met Larry a couple times now. He's a very nice guy. Um, he's, you know, he's running this multi-trillion dollar company, right? BlackRock is the biggest asset manager in the world. He's a very, very smart guy. He he established BlackRock. That's his company. He He's the father of it. So he's seen it from the ground up, right, to what it is now. And, you know, I will say couple years ago, even, you know, when Charlie and I first started talking about crypto, when we first started covering the Ripple case, it was, you know, around 2021 when we got in. And, you know, we would we would ask Larry, I mean, I, I remember talking to him in the green room um, one day, it must have been, you know, about two years ago. And I said, you know, Larry, what do you think of crypto? And he's like, oh, like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I, I, I don't deal with that stuff, basically, he kind of just, you know, he he didn't have anything to say really about it. And, you know, I think being the head of such a big company, right, like, he's obviously the face of it. But I, he's not on the ground day to day. He's got people running all these different departments for him. He's he. I would imagine um, that he's you know like any CEO, he's going to be briefed and told sort of what the you know the direction of the company that's going to benefit the company, right? By the people that really run or on the ground every single day. They come, probably come to his office and say, "Hey, Larry, you know Bitcoin is is you know really it's it's the talk. Crypto is is ramping up. I think we should get involved. I think this would be." you know, in our best interest to have this offered to our clients long term. So I don't think, you know, I, I and while I do agree with Mark that I think, you know, it's right, you know, when the institutions want to get in, they're going to get in, right? They're going to, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to, Jamie Dimon called crypto pet rocks. They're going to kind of bring that market, you know, level down to the point where they can say, all right, we're going to get in now and we're going to reap the benefits. I do think there's an element of that, but from, you know, seeing Larry talking to him in the green room, he's, you know, he's, he's not the guy on the ground every single day in every single department. So I do think there's an element of, you know, um, 
uh, him not being, I, I think, I think he's briefed by people and I think he sees, he sees, you know, developments. I don't think with a wave of his hand, he was the one that was like, all right, Bitcoin is this, we're going to do this right now. And the whole company pivoted. I think it's more from, you know, the, the bottom middle levels up as opposed to the top down with him anyway. Um, and I think it's kind of, you know, CEOs, they're not, they're not like, they're not on the ground. Like I keep saying, they're just, they're there and they oversee and they make decisions, but they are briefed by people who are really sort of on the front lines. So I see that, um, you know, just from, from my experiences and my conversations um, with, with Larry and people from BlackRock, but you know, uh, his support means everything, right? I mean, you saw the price of Bitcoin jump. You've seen the interest in the Bitcoin spot ETFs. This They're leading the interest from institutions. And so, you know, that is a big, uh, that's a big torch to carry. And it's interesting, Ellie, a lot of people get into Bitcoin because they get to custody their own assets. But those same people are celebrating when BlackRock and JP Morgan start buying Bitcoin and sort of centralizing the product. But guys, we got 420 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Ellie, I know you have to run, but one more question, please. Applying that same concept to what we're seeing today when it comes to the crypto market, is there going to be a day where Larry Fink comes out and says, yeah, we actually love these layer ones such as Stellar, such as Ethereum, and then expands his horizons when it comes to crypto? I think so. I think if it's possible with Bitcoin, then it can be possible with with other, you know, alts and other payment rails. I think, you know, as the... uh, as more as the adoption rate goes up, you know, we've obviously got to wait for clarity for some kind of regulation. And that's going to take some time. We've got these lawsuits in the works that we've got to get past as well. But I think eventually, you know, you talk five, 10 years down the line, they're going to see that this is the technology that is really revolutionizing everything. And why wouldn't you get into something that, you know, potentially is going to be lucrative and brings you more money. And you talk about XRP being the only, well, Bitcoin and XRP being the only ones with real clarity, you know, just wait until there's others. There's Ethereum and there's other there's others that have that. I think it's going to be, yeah. It's it's and it's, it, in my personal opinion, it's it's inevitable. Um, and I think Mark said a lot to that effect as well. Thank you so much, Ellie. I'd just like to remind people where can they find you on social media platforms? And is there any announcements that you'd like to make right now before you before you go? Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Eleanor Terrett, um, and my Instagram is ELL underscore K-A-T-E. I've been thinking about doing some more stuff on Instagram just to kind of, you know, be more, uh, be more active there, maybe some AMAs. Um, but in terms of announcements, um, you know, we've, uh, I think we're just really waiting now. I mean, in terms of obviously you've been covering the Ripple case and kind of being on the front lines of that, we are waiting now for Ripple to file its reply to the SEC filing its motion for leave to file that interlocutory appeal. Um, you know, it's uh, I think it's pretty it's up in the air, right? Whether whether the SEC is going to be successful with this. I mean, she's they've got to go through Judge Torres. Judge Torres has got to clear this and then they've got to go to the Second Circuit. So there's a lot involved and I, they've got to. it's a big it's a big burden to carry because, you know, I think Judge Torres is sticking by what she put all this work into for the last, you know, the better part of two years. She didn't just come to this conclusion because she, you know, felt like it, right? There was research involved. There was a lot of things that went into it. And yeah, I I, I see good things in the future. I, I do hope for good things, especially Exciting with this. Exciting days on the yeah. horizon, Ellie. And one last thing, and I keep saying this, do you think there'll be a day where Charlie, <laughs> where Charlie Gasparino changes his stance I know that you have a close relationship with him. What does he say about XRP behind the scenes? Is he playing the bad guy? This is my thought. I think he likes the engagement from the community. He likes to play the bad guy just to be, I guess, you know, get get the people going. What do you think? Do you have any theories here? 
Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm not going to comment on my boss's. Uh, <laughs> That's a yeah, smart my idea. Boss's Twitter activity. Um, so yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough, Ellie. Don't be mad at me for that question. I just had to get it in there that people are wondering. But guys, we got 402 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button, Ellie. I know you have to run, but we got one more segment. So I'm going to play our listeners the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com. That's MerlinCrypto.com and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. It is the smartest way to track your crypto, Johnny. And there's just one video I want to play for our listeners before the end of the show. But really quick, why don't you remind our listeners of some Merlin updates and we'll get this thing going. And Ellie, I just want to say, I don't want to take any more Ellie's time. Ellie, if you have to run, that's no problem at all. Sorry, we just have to finish the show. Okay, no problem, guys. Thanks so much for having me and have a great weekend. It was great to see you Thank you so much, Ellie. Ellie. We look forward to having you back. Bye. We'll do it again in the future. Bye. Yeah, just uh, for anybody who's interested in Merlin, uh, get on the wait list below. People are asking, hey, I didn't get my email. Guys, check your spam box and junk boxes. A lot of the emails, you know, unfortunately, when when you try to email a large group of people who are on the wait list, that can happen sometimes. So click on the link below. Get on the wait list. If you haven't, check your email. Check your junk box. Check your spam folder. See if it's there. If it isn't, don't worry. We have only... Abs, we've only emailed about 10% of our waitlisters, so there's still 90% of you that we will be hitting over the next few weeks. We're excited as we roll that out, but uh, the feedback has been good so far, so thank you. That is really exciting, and Johnny. no, guys. guys, Merlin doesn't use a fax machine. Thank you for that question, whoever asked <laughs> I would hope a, t- a modern-day technology company does not re- rely on fax. But this is a great video we're going to close the show out on. Mark Yusko talked about a competitive advantage for technologies and how eventually the best technology will win, but it may take a long time. Lucky for our listeners, Ripple and XRP appear to be building on the best technology Here's an example of just how great it is. Again, to tell you a story, three years ago, we actually experimented with uh, 12 banks uh, across different geographies who did not have pre-funding relationship with each other. We gave them a bunch of digital asset called XRP and asked them to use it to see if it works for cross-border payments as a bridge currency. Uh, They came back to us after six months and they said, look, it works beautifully. There are, we cannot use this. And there are two issues with, with this. Number one, it's highly volatile, so we cannot use it. Number two, my regulator will never allow me to use this. There is no risk waiting to this, and it's too volatile. There is no way the central banks will allow me to use this. This was in 2015-16. So we went back to the drawing board and came up with a new product, uh, as I mentioned, ODL, on-demand liquidity. And basically what that product does is, through that product, banks do not have to hold a digital asset on their books. They could leverage that product, connect with a digital asset exchange, which, mind you, is fully ex- fully licensed and supervised, and then leverage that exchange to source liquidity in real time. 
And because the entire transaction happens in less than 30 seconds because of the speed of the, the ledger, uh, the volatility risk is taken care of. So we removed the two big concerns that banks and payment providers had and almost productized it in a way. And then we launched the product uh, last year in October. So Johnny, that's exactly what Ripple is sitting on here. And when you talk about NDAs, that's why. They ran the pilot program and they figured out this stuff is so good that not only would it be a threat to our competition, it could wipe out the competition. And the biggest hurdle they have is regulatory clarity, which is just a short-term issue. So seems like we're we're getting some real insight here. But guys, I do want to point out this comment here we got from Pancho Hernandez. He said, definitely sending this show to all my friends and family so they can get a clue. Please, if you guys enjoy this content, show us some love, smash that like button. We do this for you guys. We do this for free and we enjoy making this show every day. So please smash that like button, share it with your friends and we'll continue to bring this show. But Johnny, why don't you close us out here and we'll have a great weekend. Abs, that was a huge, huge, huge video. You just played huge, positive, bullish news. Being able, literally describing exactly what I've been talking about. You see, they got to use the technology. They got to understand how great it was. And more importantly, they understood why they can't use it. And now that gives the company potential to go figure out how to get around those stumbling, those roadblocks. And they will, hopefully. And when they figure it out, you're going to see massive, massive adoption, I think, of the technology. Regulation is the easy part. The other part is the volatility they talked about. They'll have to look for that, too. But they'll, they'll work on ways to solve all that, I think, at the end of the day. Super bullish news, Abs. And what a great show it was today. I got to get running to Abs, but uh, it was awesome. And uh, hopefully everybody has a great weekend. Thank you so much, guys. And we're going to close this thing out by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny Crypto. Thank you to Mark Gusco. And thank you to Ellie, a.k.a. Eleanor Perrette. We got 337 lab listeners here. First of all, I wish you guys and girls all an amazing weekend. We'll see you guys in 72 hours. Like we always say, Warriors. Right. Let's get together. Thank you for joining. Have a great Let's weekend. Go.